Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I discuss and critique horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So... (laughs) Maybe never quite learn anything, maybe we never quite enlighten you, but <laughs> hopefully you have a good time listening. So so today we're going to be continuing our Sharks, Sharks, Sharks month with the 1975 penultimate classic Jaws, uh, which, you know, is Chris's favorite shark film. Um, uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, she's lying. Um, no, but, <laughs> not my favorite shark movie. Uh, but it is mine, and, it, you know, so this is a film that was directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, who I'm sure you all know. Uh, he did Duel before this, which is a really great road thriller in which in which this guy is stalked by, like, a mysterious truck driver. Uh, he also, of course, did Indiana Jones, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I don't know the, any of these movies you're referencing. Yeah, no, it, he's kind of a nobody. Um, but <laughs> so, so it was directed by him. Uh, it was kind of the film that made Spielberg the name he is today. Uh, it was written by Peter Benchley, uh, who also wrote the film adaptation of his other novel, The Beast, which I actually think is kind of funny because, as a friend of mine pointed out recently, which I agree with, The Beast is actually a better novel than Jaws, <laughs> even though it's basically a ripoff of his own story, but with the giant squids. <laughs> Uh, but it was written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb, uh, who also wrote Jaws 2 and Jaws 3D. And it's basically, if you're not familiar with Jaws, uh, it's basically about a town named Amity, uh, basically an island town, which finds itself plagued by a killer great white shark. And the sheriff and a few others have to set out to destroy it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But before we get into that, we have our usual spoiler-free content. So we'll let you know we're about to get into spoilers with this. As far as releases go this week, uh, there's a few pretty exciting ones that I definitely recommend you check out. Uh, First up is a film called Meander, which is going to be on VOD by the time you're listening to this. These will all be out by the time you're listening. But it's called Meander, and it's basically, it's sort of, I've, I've heard it described this way, and I kind of agree with this. It's sort of Cube meets Saw, although I say it's more like Cube meets Saw but with sort of a Greek mythology... uh, Let me finish, but sort of like a Greek labyrinthian (laughs) mythology-inspired... All right, that sounds awesome. uh, ...type setup. It sounds maybe more awesome than it is. It is is a good movie. I just think it has some flaws, but it is a very good film. Mm. Um, But it's all of that with the sci-fi bent, and it's basically about this woman who is kidnapped and wakes up and finds herself in this suit with some kind of timer attached to her wrist and she's basically in this like kind of sci-fi like vent you know it's all full of like neon lighting and stuff and anyway she's in this really tight space and this timer starts going and basically she discovers that she has to get from 
point A to point B before this timer goes off, otherwise she'll die. And this is something that she has to keep doing, otherwise she'll meet a very horrific end. So, Jesus! <laughs> uh, and, and as she's crawling through this space, it's full of traps and stuff like that, and a few other things I won't spoil. But it's, it's very grim, it's very intense if you're claustrophobic. Uh, this movie will have all of your nerves going. Oh. It's, I, you know, I, I almost think of it as like the crawl part two just because she spends so much time on her stomach like crawling through this film that sounds like my uh, nightmare it is it would be my nightmare too i'm one of the people that would just curl up and die yeah. <laughs> instead of instead of going through with what she has to do but uh so that was a good one that i really enjoyed it's a little heavy on the theme at times so you know i i felt maybe it i felt maybe it didn't quite lean as much into the horror as it could have you know it kind of gives you breaks which you know, it is kind of a to each their own sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it just sort of took me out of it a little bit here and there. But overall, I really enjoyed it. Um, another film to check out is uh, called Doc Row, which is going to be in theaters, uh, or in which is going to be in limited theaters. And this is a, uh, I, I hope I don't get this name wrong, but I, it's a Tun Tunisian film uh, okay. out of that country. And it's basically, it's basically about these three journalists uh, or, or student journalists who decide who who have to do a project with the subject and they decide to uh they decide to investigate the story of this supposed witch that's being kept at a mental asylum and they want to be the first people to interview her and long story short they end up kind of going down this path of discovery and and end up in this isolated village and it's just, why are you laughing? What, what about I'm, anything that I just said is making you giggle? <laughs> because like, my brain is just like, what could possibly go wrong with trying to interview the local witch? You're ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, so, so they end up doing that, and it's just a very spooky, atmospheric movie. Um, it is a, it, it does get a little bit too slow at times. I think the film runs just under two hours, and it feels like two hours, you mm. know. So. So there are definitely kind of long stretches where I felt it could have been cut down a bit. But overall, it's really spooky. There are some extremely shocking moments. You know, this this film breaks a few taboos that are going to make some people uncomfortable. But <laughs> uh, but it's so it's a very graphic, frightening witch movie. So if you're into that stuff, I do recommend checking it out. And then lastly, of course, is Fear Street Part 2, yeah. 1978, uh, which will be on Netflix. And... Uh, you know, both Chris and I have seen this. She watched it with me, and I liked it. I I <gasps> like. <laughs> I thought I thought 1994 was better. Um, mm. Let me explain why. <laughs> 1994, I felt like uh, you know it, it captured kind of that 90s scream sort of vibe. You know, like yeah. it, like it, it managed to be really horrific and intense, but was also fun and just having a good time with itself you know like it, it really played like a 90s slasher movie and i enjoyed that about it 1978 i i felt like it was very aggressive you know it's we, we can, i'm not gonna spoil anything here but i spent the whole first like 35 40 minutes where just every scene is like to the extreme like every character is to the extreme yeah of just like constant fighting and arguing and people over the top and it just like you know it just kind of felt like i wanted to just sit down with the movie and be like hey movie relax <laughs> all right let me get to know your people i kind of hate all of them already because yeah. you've made this such an intense experience already <laughs> 
and it just i felt like it really needed to just slow down and take its time and mm. instead it's just going like bane 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 and it never really felt like a true camp slasher to me it it really didn't take its time with that element of it so yeah i get what you're saying with that i don't 100 percent blame it because it's ostensibly having to do two movies in one i mean not really it's I know what you're saying, but I disagree. <laughs> I don't know. I I really liked it. I had fun with it. For me, you know, the first one got me hooked because I like the mystery of the town. So I got, I like getting to know more about that mystery in this one. So I'm super psyched for number three. I cannot wait until, what is it, uh, 1666? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. It, it leaves you on a great hook for number three that will definitely have everyone, all of you wanting to see it immediately. So. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, so yeah, it's another great weekend for horror fans. We just had another great weekend, so you know, hopefully, there's something in there that you'll be able to check out that you'll enjoy. One other thing we'd like to do before we get into spoilers here is every week on Twitter at our on our Twitter at Killer Critics, I like to put up a poll, just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it. Where do you think the audience falls on Jaws? Like, this is even a question. It's love it, obviously. Everybody loves Jaws. That's right. They do <laughs> all love Jaws, Chris. <laughs> uh, 79% said they love it. 16% said it's fine. 4% don't like it. And 1% said never seen it. That's about what I'd expect. And I would yeah. just tell the the 1%, whatever handful of you that is, go see this movie right away! How can you not? <laughs> it is amazing. Um... So I also like to get comments from all of you. And so a few here, these are all from Twitter. At uh, SuperMarcy, and that's Super M-A-R-C-E-Y, uh, who this is Marcy. She's a friend of mine, uh, does a lot of great podcasts with our friend B. Germain. Um, so you should definitely follow her and check them out. But she says, always love Jaws. It's such an intense and clever, well-rounded blockbuster. Worth seeing on the big screen, too. What an experience. I have to admit... There is one way that I really want to see Jaws, and I'm hoping that I get to see it this way before I die, and that's the screenings that they do on the lakes, where you get to sit in the lake while you watch this movie. Yeah, well, not living in California, you won't. <laughs> I know, but that's my ideal way to watch this movie. I, look, this is an amazing film. It might not be my personal favorite for shark movies, but I Look at her. She's already trying to defend her wrong opinion. <laughs> I do respect it. I do get why everybody really loves it. And I yeah. think for me on rewatch, like having to do these rewatches for the podcast kind of helps me love this movie a little bit more because I have to pay more attention to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my downfall with most movies is my attention span. Well, yours and most of the current and former generations is you all yeah. watch movies on your fucking phones. <laughs> I don't do that, but I did get into horror. Hey, let's put out a movie, and I'm just going to sit here on Twitter the entire time it's on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, for me, I got into horror later, so I, I was watching horror films that had a lot more like fast-paced action. So sometimes watching a movie like Jaws, which is really good, but admittedly slower... I am loses me Maybe sometimes. Slower my ass. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna say first of all, uh, no, completely agree with Marcy. It is a hell of an experience on the big screen. I have seen it on the big screen before because you know it's Jaws. So occasionally they do do re-releases of it in theaters. Which if you ever get the chance to, big recommend. I, I cannot. Th this is the film that created the summer blockbuster. You know, this is this is one of the one of I, I believe it's the first film to be considered a summer blockbuster because by 1975 that you know the studios hadn't really 
started that kind of thing. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't really a trend at the time. Now, as we know, you know, the summer is where every studio is like, that's where I'm going to pack in all of our big <laughs> stuff. And that's where we expect to make all of our money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jaws was the first one to really just be like, hey, blockbusters. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But no, it's a great film to see on the on the big screen. Uh I, I'm also with Chris, like, if you can see it in one of these places that does it on the water, I've heard that's amazing. I don't know if I can ever do it myself because I would be <laughs> terrified because <laughs> uh, I hate the goddamn water. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, so thank you, Marcy, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is my friend Sarah at sinful underscore redhead. So that's S-I-N-N-F-U-L underscore redhead. And uh, she is the host of Sarah's Horror Menagerie podcast, so I recommend following her and checking that out. Uh, but she says, Jaws has such a place in my heart. This is one of the first horror movies I ever saw with my mother. For me, this is a perfect movie. The story is simple yet effective. The characters are relatable and invoke so many different emotions in the viewer, from empathy to true hatred. And then, as usual, Sarah, her comments a little bit longer. So uh, <laughs> she also just kind of mentioned, you know, the fact that we don't really see the shark and how that adds to the terror and all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, I'll agree with you that the the characters are really what makes this film because I think one of the benefits of Jaws is because it was before, you know, we got more of these stereotypical characters. So I feel like the chief, uh, Chief Brody and Hopper and Quint, all of them are these wonderfully layered characters. You can't really put them in a nice, neat box and they are really empathetic and relatable. And I feel like every time I watch this movie, it's kind of cool because I discover new layers of them which I mm. really like. And, you know, the shark not working, it's been said, it's a blessing for the film. It added so much. But I will say, I'm pretty sure Bruce is one of the cutest patootie sharks ever. Cute I, patootie. I don't know that I would put it that way. Um, He's adorable. Uh, I mean, first of all, it, uh, you know, Trumpy characters have been around long before this. This <laughs> Jaws wasn't unique in that sense, but... but you can never just let me have one. No, I can't. Um... <laughs> But but I will say that, yes, you know, that being said, the characters are really unique and enjoyable in this, which is funny because, you know, we're going to talk about the book a bit later in the show. And the book is like the complete opposite. <laughs> like, I, I cannot I cannot properly explain how awful the characters are in the book uh, compared to this. You know, I, I'm going to say that for when we're getting into spoilers, but. I will just say that, you know, I don't know how much of this was eventually adapting his script or how much it was probably Gottlieb and Spielberg <laughs> uh, adapting it for the screen. But the characters are phenomenal and so much better than they are in the book. Because uh, I agree, you, you love to watch these guys. Brody, Quint, Hooper, they're all fantastic. They all just, like, shine on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you love them. Like, even Quint, who's a complete asshole, you know, as you were saying. You know, Chris was sitting there watching this, and she turns to me, and she's like, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm paying more attention or not this time, <laughs> but I think I kind of like Quinn. <laughs> I have feelings about him now. And, and you know, and it's true. Like, Quinn's one of those great characters that you kind of love to hate at times, but you also kind of just love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is really sad because Robert Shaw did pass away, like, just a few years after he did this movie. So, he, so he never really, I think, got to quite see, like, how how impactful that character's been over time because he's kind of like the character that everyone references with Jaws, right? But anyway, so thank you at Sinful underscore Redhead for the comment. Really appreciate it, Sarah. Uh, Next up is at Jonas underscore SMR. So that's J-O-N-A-S underscore SMR. 
And they say, one of the greatest movies ever made of any genre, no question. See what Chris thinks of that. Uh, an absolute masterpiece which traumatized and thrilled millions in equal measure. Everybody is entitled to their opinion. Uh-huh. <laughs> look, Jaws is one of those movies where I can look at, and especially living, you know, and being married to Matt, I can understand why it's considered, you know, this amazing, phenomenal film. And it's no small measure to basically create the blockbuster. That's a huge accomplishment. Indeed. <laughs> I am. Um, Look, we know my taste is trash. Jaws is too high quality of a movie for me to ever say it's my favorite. <laughs> you know, that's that's weirdly probably the best way that you can describe your feelings right? on this movie. <laughs> I get a kick out of this f- film, though, because I'm pretty sure the first time I watched it, Matt introduced it to me because I was really getting into sharks. And so he wanted to show me, you know, this quintessential shark movie. And then we got to the end of it. And I'm pretty sure I was just like, meh. There wasn't enough shark in it. And he's been disappointed in me ever since. Oh, hon, I've, I've just always <laughs> been disappointed in you. Um, <laughs> it's my superpower. We could, we could, sort of. Um, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, no, it's, you know, like we've already said, mass. I, I consider it a masterpiece. It, I think it's Spielberg's. If it's not Spielberg's masterpiece, it's certainly up there. I consider it to be his, but, you know, I obviously lean towards horror and all that, so. (laughs) I'm just laughing because I love Indiana Jones, and I feel like that exemplifies my trash taste. Not saying Indiana Jones is trash, but Jaws is a better made film. Yes, I agree. Yeah. (laughs) But, But no, I consider it a masterpiece, and, you know, as far as traumatized, I mean, hell yeah, you know, I saw this movie when I was a kid. And um, I don't know if I can blame Jaws for my feelings towards the ocean, but the combination of indulging myself in almost nothing but horror as a child <laughs> <laughs> and and coming up with stories myself and just letting my imagination run wild, uh, water was never <laughs> something that I greatly enjoyed because every time I would get in it, I would just think of, hey, you know, there's probably all kinds of things around me that I can't <laughs> see that are just waiting to fucking eat me, you know? And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the movie definitely traumatized me in a sense. Um, it, but it also, but it also, I think, enlightened me because in being a fan of it, you know, it, it's encouraged me to learn more about sharks and more about how they're not <laughs> quite as they're portrayed in Jaws nope. and other shark movies. And it also inspired, you know, my love of aquatic horror, which mm-hmm. is just a genre that I always want to talk about because it never gets enough mentions you know because no. uh, there's not there's not an abundance of great aquatic horror movies but there's I, a lot of great ones out there but anyway so thank you at jonas underscore smr for the comment appreciate it uh next up is at revcast yt so that's r-e-v-c-a-s-t-y-t and they say people ended up getting scared shitless to go swimming and the rumor of great whites attacking more often became staple in news reporting Definitely a horror movie that stuck in pop culture and traumatized the masses. So I have feelings about this. Because Shark, like, Jaws is an amazing film, but it is single-handedly responsible for the modern fear of sharks and a lot of the misconceptions about them. And look, that's impressive. For a movie to have that kind of lasting impression on our society is really impressive. But it bums me out because sharks are awesome. They're so cool. And it bums me out that people are more afraid of them and not knowing that you can go swim with them, which I think is awesome. They like pets. You can pet them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I want to go pet a great white, but... <laughs> Be your friend. <laughs> but no, I mean, absolutely. You know, uh, I, 
we're going to talk about the traumatization of it mm-hmm. <laughs> later on in the episode, but just to speak on it, you know, its effect on pop culture, uh, just to speak on its effect on pop culture, I mean, absolutely, you know, uh, everything we're talking about this month is inspired by Jaws. Yeah. You know, if it, 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 I can't say that there never would have been a shark horror trend if not for Jaws. I can't say that we never would have had shark exploitation because I don't think that's true. But, you know, it, it, because Jaws exists, it's pretty easy to point at every shark film that came after and say, that's because of Jaws. Yeah. You know, Jaws, Jaws made, Jaws didn't just make people scared of sharks. It made people fall in love with shark movies, you yeah. know, and it, it made countless filmmakers want to go out and make their own Jaws, you know. And so because of that, it's why we have Deep Blue Sea and these countless ripoffs <laughs> that, that came from the Italians, like Cruel Jaws or something. Or the last shark, you know, or something like that, or just like even even all the ripoffs that we saw that weren't quite sharks, like Piranha was deemed a, a ripoff of Jaws, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, Peter Benchley's The Beast is basically <laughs> Jaws with a giant squid. Like, you know, it just we saw we saw it had such a huge impact on a on the shark exploitation genre and aquatic horror in general, and and we've seen it referenced just countless times <laughs> everywhere o- over the last five decades right so uh so no it's an incredible film and I- i'm really excited that we're talking about it tonight but uh anyway thank you at revcast yt for the comment appreciate it and then lastly is a comment from at halloween year round so that's halloween y-r-r-n-d uh, which they also have a horror website that you should check out but they say uh always get tired of the whole jaws isn't a horror movie argument it definitely qualifies as a monster movie and thus counts. And you know what? I'm actually going to take this one because <laughs> I just because I just want to say here and once and for all, can we fucking end the argument that Jaws is not a horror film? This happens with so many goddamn movies <laughs> in the genre. You know, the, some of the most popular ones that people love to say are not horror are like Jaws, Silence of the Lambs. One that I will give people, even though I consider it horror, is Jurassic Park. But it's like, when it comes to Jaws, for fuck's sake, just <laughs> for fuck's sake, people, it opens on a fucking shark attack with a girl being horribly tortured and pulled underwater. It has kill after kill that is bloody, we see fucking bloody limbs falling into the ocean. A spoiler child is murdered, (laughs) you know, and we actually see like a spurt of fucking fountainous blood shoot up when they get eaten. More than half the movie is supposed to inspire terror more than anything else. You know, you're supposed to be on edge. There's suspense. You're supposed to be scared of the shark. There are jump scares. (laughs) Like this whole (laughs) film is meant to, to scare you and nothing else like it it ends it it's a great movie and it has a lot of great character stuff going on but everything in it is about the terror of the shark yeah. i don't know how you watch this movie and don't think it's horror <laughs> Because people who like like mainstream movies and who don't watch horror don't want to say they like a horror film. I know it's crazy. It's it, so dumb. It's absolutely crazy. And <laughs> and the other, I think the other thing that bothers me about it is it's just like you know, Jaws is one of the few horror films to win Academy Awards, mm-hmm. and you cannot fucking take that away from me. You cannot take <laughs> that away from the horror genre. Let us have this one thing. You know, we we have a handful of movies 
that the Academy actually fucking recognized. Let us have them. Nope. Academy will let you get <laughs> stop, your grubby hands on them. Stop with this fucking thriller crap or saying it's like a drama with a shark. Like, fuck off. <laughs> it's a horror movie. Sons of bitches. <laughs> and if and if that was directed at anybody listening who doesn't think it's horror, I'm sorry, but uh, it's horror. <laughs> it's horror. <laughs> but anyway, thank you at Halloween Year Round for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, so next, one last thing we'd like to do really quick before we get into spoilers is just the tagline versus the movie and kind of what we think of it overall. So the tagline for Jaws was the terrifying motion picture from the terrifying number one bestseller. Is that even a tagline? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say this is the most disappointing part about Jaws is this fucking tagline. For me, we've talked about it. I like Jaws well enough. I understand, you know, why everybody thinks it's a masterpiece. But it's not my favorite shark movie because I am a slasher girl and I want to see more shark carnage. And I'm biased that way. Just just taking away the, the thing that made it great. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying I want to see more in this but, because I think it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so just really quick before I get into spoilers, I would just say, yeah, tagline's terrible. But, but the thing I just want to say about Jaws is that you know, this this movie did have a really big impact on me. It's the first horror film that I remember knowing the theme to. You know, like dun 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 dun. You know, like it, it that that is the first horror theme that I remember ever learning. You know, and like mm. wanting and wanting to play it on the piano whenever we'd go to my grandparents' house. <laughs> like I would want to recreate it, even though I couldn't play the piano. You know, so like. So, so it was a big movie for me in that sense, uh, because you know the themes matter. Mm-hmm. I, I am I, I get so tired of horror films that seem like they don't put the effort into creating a good theme, and they just kind of have like the standard repetitive bullshit that you yeah. hear in so many countless horror films. You know, like a theme matters. Like mm-hmm. that that stuff sticks with you. Jaws stuck with the public because now everybody, when they're in the water and they want to scare someone, guess what they do? They sing the Jaws theme. Yeah. Guess what people sing when, around Halloween in October? The Halloween theme. You know, like, these things, they matter. And mm-hmm. so, so I just remember that being a big deal for me. And, and you know, this is the first, one of the first horror films that I remember, you know, going back to Sarah's comment, this is one of the first horror films that I remember watching with my mom and having my mom be really excited to show it to me because, you know, my mom likes horror. I wouldn't call her a horror fan. But she, uh, you know, she before we sat down to watch this, she was always talking to me about how Jaws had terrified her when she was a kid, you know, and mm-hmm. she got to go see it with her parents in the theater. And so, you know, so it's just, it's a special movie in that sense. This yeah. is kind of a film that I feel like a lot of people pass down to their kids and are excited to show them, you know, and, and I just think that's really cool. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that. But, uh, all right, so we are getting into the spoilers now. So again, if you have not seen Jaws, do seek it out. I don't recall if it's streaming. Maybe on Netflix. I don't know. If it's not streaming, that's a crime against humanity. I don't know how Jaws <laughs> isn't streaming for access to everybody. But um, but definitely go check it out. If you've never seen it, it is 100%, 110% worth the rental. Uh, so please go do that because we are going to spoil everything. So that being said, as usual, who do you want to talk about? Once again, we have Roy Schneider playing Brody, Robert Shaw's Quint, Richard Dreyfuss's Hooper, uh, who who catches your eye in Jaws? <laughs> so I want to talk about rich boy scientist Hooper. I find Hooper a very interesting character because I'm, you know, because of his rivalry with with Quint essentially. Because Hooper is 
he is a rich boy. They they talk about it in the film. Quint brings up the fact that he's got soft hands, and he's kind of this side of of research with very little experience, which we see throughout the movie. Like, look, Hooper knows his shit. He knows about the sharks. Like, we see it in the autopsy. We see it, it when you know they open up that Mako shark and him being able to like take it's everything. Tiger up. shark. It is a tiger shark. You're right. <laughs> Um, I just get so caught on the fisherman saying Mako wrong. <laughs> I think they called it a, a Mako. A Mako. It's a Mako. It's a Mako. I also just love the guy in that scene. A what? <laughs> <laughs> he should have won the Academy Award. <laughs> he should have. But you know, Hooper is like this wonderful fountain of knowledge with this chip on his shoulder because he feels like he has to prove something. And he does because motherfucker loses everything. Anytime they could potentially like is that really proving anything other than he's a fuck up? <laughs> I well, I think for me, I don't view it necessarily as a fuck up and more just a lack of experience. Like because no. he's not experienced necessarily in the field as much in comparison to like Quint, like he sees a dead body and he gets scared and literally just drops everything. Like he drops the tooth, which could have helped them prove to the mayor to not be such an asswipe, although I don't think that would have helped anything. It would he, not. <laughs> he drops his knife. Like he's in he's in the cage at the end and he drops the tool to try to like kill Bruce, mm. which I also have to say, like, can we point out the fact that Hooper most of the time in shark movies when somebody drops their weapon at the bottom, like they get out of the cage, they take that risk. Sometimes I, they <laughs> die for it. But Hooper's just like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to go hide somewhere and survive. Well, because he's smart. <laughs> <laughs> he's not just rich. He's intelligent. And it's kind of smarter to go hide instead of go confront a great white shark with your bare hands. So <laughs> No, he swims down to the bottom, gets his pokey stick. Yeah, still. One last battle royale. We, we've seen many times how that works out for the person trying to take on the shark. So Never well. Never well. So, so I'm going to warn you all, uh, I am going to be spoiling bits of the book as well as we go through this. Uh, I'm sorry, it's over 40 years old, so if you haven't read it, I apologize. But, but I will just say when it comes to Hooper and what you were just mentioning, it's funny because in the film, I, I agree. I actually really admire the character of Hooper because he is that rich kid mm -hmm. who doesn't flaunt the fact that he's no. rich you know he he's not he's not rubbing anybody's faces he doesn't seem spoiled you know he he clearly wants uh, maybe a little bit but, a he, little but, bit. He, but he clearly wants to he clearly wants to work and prove himself like you're saying mm -hmm. and, and i do think that there's quite a bit of bravery to him you know like yeah. wanting to get in the cage in the end and taking that risk right because at that point they've already seen the shark they know that that shark <laughs> is gonna fuck up that cage you know i i don't think cooper is 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 not mindful of that right yeah. so <laughs> so so there is a lot of bravery to him i mean for god's sakes uh when they find ben gardner's boat and he goes into the water in the middle of the night mm -hmm. to go check something out as he says like fuck that man i mean i <laughs> If I was Brody, I'd be pissing my pants standing on the boat just waiting for him to get back. I'm like, pretty sure he did. Like, who the hell? Who the hell is like, oh, instead of towing this in, I'm just going to go check something, you know? Like, no. No, bro. <laughs> no, Hooper. Um, but so there's a bit of bravery to him, you know? Or stupidity, you know? Bravery and stupidity kind of go hand in hand. But, exactly. But it's funny because in the book... Uh, in the moment when he goes in the shark cage, mm -hmm. it has almost nothing to do with the fact that he's trying to kill the shark. I mean, you know, he, he th there's a contemplation of like, yes, when I'm in the cage, I'll have a chance to kill it. But in the book, he's more like, 
I just want to get close to it and photograph it, you know? And like, <laughs> like, like in the book, he's much more concerned with, as, as the mayor says in the film to him at one point, like, you'd love to get your name in the National Geographic, wouldn't you? Well, in the book, that's kind yeah. of what's going on in Matt Hooper's head, you know? Like, Matt Hooper sucks in the Aww. book. And, <laughs> like, in the book, he is a spoiled fucking selfless asshole. And so, <laughs> so, yeah, and so I just thought I had to mention that, which, I, I'm like I said, I'm sorry, I will be talking about the book quite a bit, but... Because yeah. um, I just finished reading it and I have so many feelings about it. But <laughs> so I don't know that I'm quite drunk enough yet to, <laughs> to handle the things that I'm about to talk about. But but I'm going to turn this real weird real fast. So Fuck yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about Chief Brody. And what what I will first say, which is not weird, uh, is that what I like about what they do with Chief Brody in the film compared to in the book is in the film he he is basically a fish out of water who is having to get in the water to face a fish you know like, <laughs> that's nice yeah. that's nice i like that like he you know he he is this character who's from new york he doesn't <laughs> like the water uh so He's already, you know, the sheriff of a town with people he doesn't know really well. Mm -hmm. Like, that that's automatically, like, fish-out-of-water storytelling 101, you know, where yeah. he's just in this environment where he's having the struggle to kind of get along and get his footing, right? So I love that that's the setup, and then it, you know, yeah, I mean, it's kind of punny, but it's like, <laughs> you know, I love that that's the setup, and then they take him and they throw him in the fucking water, <laughs> and then he is quite literally a fish out of water, you know, yeah. having to go against a fucking fish. <laughs> like, I, I love that element of it, because in the book, he he himself is an islander who's grown up there, he knows everybody, oh. so, so it's completely missing that element, you know, and I... In the book, I don't recall if he's afraid of the water or not. I don't mm -hmm. believe so. I don't think there's anything to do with that in there. So so it's a great, like, little character element, you know? So for for writers out there, it's just, it, it's it's a good note to take of, like, sometimes, you know, it's always best when your heroes have something that 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 is a natural fear of theirs that relates to the villain they're going up against, you know? Mm -hmm. So in this case, I mean, Brody hates the water, and the thing he has to fight is in the water, you know, it's, it's just, that's just great storytelling. Um, well, and he's facing this fear to, like, help protect people who will never accept him, which I think that's why I really love Brody, is his utter selflessness to protect these people that we watched throughout this movie. The people of that town are fucking assholes to him, even before all the shark stuff. They're just yeah. dicks to him. Yeah. And Brody is so determined to do his best for these assholes that I kind of love him, and I kind of want to punch every single one of them in the face. Yeah, so this is where it gets weird. Um, so, <laughs> so, so as you all know, I like to I like to look for things in these movies, and oh, um, shit. and I, you know, with Jaws, I think I might have gone too far. But so so with Jaws, I, I'm looking at two things. Well, uh, I'm looking at a few things here, and one is that the thing that Brody is facing is the shark, mm -hmm. and I remember. I remember a uh, film studies teacher in my community college. Uh, I went to community college for two years before going to real college. And I remember them presenting a theory to me that I just never forgot about, which is this concept of the shark being a representation of the vagina. You know? So, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, what the fuck? <laughs> um, <laughs> 
because the way that they related it was with the end scene with Quint, because Quint is supposed to be like, uh, like the quintessential man's man, you know, like all tough and burly and you know, womanizing and all that kind of stuff. So and like, they all just get devoured by the pussy. I'm getting there. So, <laughs> so he's supposed to be that, and and he has like this natural fear of sharks, and the shark itself, you know, it, the it's very. It's very vaginal like, you know, v- vagina dentata or whatever, the thing with, you know, vaginas okay. with teeth. Okay. And it's very it's very like that and the concept of Quint sliding down into that mouth is kind of like being consumed yes, uh-huh. by the vagina in a sense and <laughs> and and when you look just kind of around the imagery there, you know, it's not too far-fetched. You have things like I don't know what it's called, but if you look closely in that scene, you've got things like uh like the 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 ropes or whatever that they, they look very much like umbilical cords kind of mm-hmm. coming out of the shark's mouth and everything. So what I'm getting to <laughs> is that what's interesting here, I think, with Brody is that he's not just a fish out of water. He's not just a man who's trying to prove himself, as he says over and over again. You know, like there's the one scene where he's out with Hooper and he's talking about how in New York he can never make a difference. But in Amity, he can make a difference. One man can make a difference, you know? Mm -hmm. And that scene sort of strikes me as, like, more than him just wanting to do good in the world, but him trying to prove something to himself. You know, all the characters kind of have something they're trying to prove to themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I I look at Brody as being a character who maybe is struggling with his manhood, and he is trying to, you know, prove to himself that, that he you know, is capable, basically. Uh-huh. And part of where that comes from is, you know, this isn't present really in the movie, but in the book, you know, and I'm just I'm just connecting the two because this is an, because this is an adaptation of the book. Mm-hmm. Now I am getting buzzed. Um, <laughs> uh, in the book, uh, Brody is very much uh, a man whose manhood is threatened in his mind, you know? Like, uh-huh. he, like he, he consistently worries about uh about how much she's pleasing Ellen mm-hmm. like th- this book is very obsessed with sex and <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's consistently like worried about how much he's pleasing her he's threatened by Hooper who Ellen eventually sleeps with and like you know and, and Brody very much in the book is a man who whose manhood he feels like he's losing in a sense right so i guess what i'm getting to is what i find fascinating about Brody is to me being a person who's afraid of the water, dealing with the shark, it strikes me as like a man who who is terrified of sort of returning to the womb in a sense and becoming and becoming infantilized, you know, and <laughs> and so yeah, so I, I I'll get more into that yeah. as we go on, but like that <laughs> I think that is is hands down your most ridiculous theory. Does that mean? But that's okay. what water represents in a sense, you know. It kind of, it kind of represents like the womb and stuff like that. Fair enough. I just can't <laughs> see Bruce as being a representation of the vagina. Does that mean that when he explodes him in the end, does that mean either he's overcome his need to like impress people, or he just is able to give a woman yeah, an orgasm? I no. I mean, <laughs> well, sure. I mean, you can look at it if you at it like that if you want. You know, like. Um, I mean, again, these I exploded are, that vagina real yeah, good. These things are all up for interpretation, <laughs> but but yes, I mean, look, the, the the part of the overall significance of that ending is that he has overcome his fears, right? Yeah, he had he has found that 
whatever you want to call it, uh, the 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 ability to accept his manhood, his bravery, whatever the fuck you want to call it, uh-huh. he has found that in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, so I found that so, shark's G spot. <laughs> so so yeah, I mean, if you wanna <laughs> if you wanna buy my theory of looking at the shark as in any way representing womanhood or anything like that or, or femininity, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to look at it in any way as representing that, then yeah, I mean, if you think about the idea that Brody is a man who feels like he's not quite a man, uh, then sure, I guess you could look <laughs> at him exploding the shark as having, you know, found his sexual confidence <laughs> again, if you want. <laughs> you know, I will only accept Bruce as a representation of femininity because I would also like to be a badass shark. That'd be amazing. You are a badass shark. All all women are badass all sharks. All women are badass <laughs> sharks. All right, well, that's... That's a theory. That's certainly a thought. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get more into it as we go and I, maybe I'll convince you. <laughs> I do know you well. Well, so one of the people we didn't get a chance to talk about is um, Mayor Vaughn, who I feel like is such a quintessential character. And I think especially coming out of the pandemic and everything we went through with that, do you feel like he hits a little bit differently now? God, fuck Mayor Vaughn. Right? So, I mean, look, here's the thing, you know... It's funny because when we grew, when we were growing up, you know, I feel like I feel like if you were a fan of Jaws before the year 2020, you looked at that film and you saw the mayor character and you thought, man, what a what a great representation of corruption. Mm-hmm. And that's how we thought of it. We thought of it as corruption. We th- and when we think of corruption, we like to think of it as this thing that doesn't overwhelm politics. You know, mm-hmm. we, we understand that a lot of politicians are corrupt. We understand that there's a lot of that that goes on. But but it's never really been a thing that I think that we accept as like a widespread sort of pandemic itself, right? Yeah. And, you know, so you were able to kind of look at Jaws and look at Mayor Vaughn and be like, that that's an over the top exaggerated representation of corruption. Mm-hmm. You know, this mayor who refuses to close the beaches cuz they got to get money for the town yeah. and, and is willing to sacrifice people to a fucking killer shark, you know. We we all look at that we, and we say fuck that mayor yeah. because you know, because it's 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 almost silly in a sense mm-hmm. because we don't we don't we don't imagine that really happening. Who would possibly and, do that? Make those decisions? Exactly, like what asshole would do that, right? Yeah. And so, having lived through 2020, <laughs> you know, that was one of the first things that I remember people in the horror community posting about and, and talking about was this fact that basically Trump and our entire government, and I, I'm not just talking about Republicans, Democrats too, yep. our entire government revealed itself to all be Jaws mares. Basically, you know? yeah. Like, they, all of them were basic, like, and, and look, some more so than others, obviously. Mm-hmm. But all of them, in one way or another, became Mare Vaughn. Yes. You know, where it was like, you know, so so some were good about it, in a sense, like, like we live in California, and our mayor immediately was, like, shutting things down, trying to protect people, whatever, mm-hmm. and that's great. But our California governor also decided at a certain point, we're just going to fucking open everything back up yep. and and you all can just deal with it, you know? 
like that that's where that's where the mayor vaughn point came in for a lot of people you know so a bunch mm. of republicans and i'm sorry to turn to political for a second but it's like a bunch of republicans were basically just like we're not closing because the virus isn't real there's no shark out there me you know yeah. like they like they they were acting like there is no great white swimming around killing people you know like they, <laughs> if they, you you don't have a tooth you don't have proof Right, they were just exactly. There, <laughs> there's no tooth that I can see. You're talking about this thing that requires like microscopes and shit. That's made up. That's not real. That you're making that all up, you know. And so they kept everything open, and they're and they, you know, they're like, we're not fucking closing anything because mm-hmm. of the economy. Yeah, you know, because we're because America is such a fucking consumerism driven economy that you know we we look at money as being more important than human lives. Yeah, and which you know I guess is really how a lot of countries look at it, but. But so they did it that way. A lot of Democrats did close, but mm. eventually they became Mayor Vaughn's too because eventually they said, you know, well, I I guess people are just gonna die, you know, yeah. and we and we need money again. So like, so so everyone, all of them revealed themselves to be that. So yeah, when you watch Jaws now, it's it's really hard to sit there after having. I mean, I can't say having been through because we're still going through the pandemic, but mm-hmm. having having gone through it and, you know, just experiencing like shit. Yeah, that, that's basically all of them. Yeah. And, and if there if there was a fucking, you know, supernatural floating great, what like a sea of great whites that were just flying around the country, you know, eating people, <laughs> it would be the same thing. Yep. They would be like, well, you know, you're either going to get eaten by a supernatural floating ethereal great white or you're not and that's just kind of the risk you gotta take because we <laughs> we gotta be able to get our starbucks coffee in the morning <laughs> it's it's a thing for me the part of the movie that really hit home about all of this is there's a moment where they've opened up for july 4th and everybody's on the beach and the mayor goes up to this one specific family and is just like hey why aren't you swimming Get in the fucking ocean, bitches. And offers up this family as sacrificial lambs on the altar of capitalistic greed. And I feel like that was the moment of, for me, especially like working in retail, that's exactly how I felt. Like anytime they're like, cool, we're going to roll back regulations. I'm like, cool, so you're just going to shove me into that ocean with that shark right now, aren't you? Well, and, and the fascinating thing about that is that's basically what Trump was doing to all the Republican governors. Yeah. You know, like Trump, so, uh, you know, like Trump had such an effect or has such an effect on the Republican Party that it's like whatever he does or says, mm-hmm. you have to agree or do what he says in that party or you get ostracized. You know, like, that's the exact opposite of democracy, but that's what happened. Yeah. And and it was fascinating to watch because, you know, Trump was basically the mayor saying, you know, if you shout, basically, the, he was basically the mayor saying, hey, shout Barracuda instead of shark, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and he was telling, and he, that's what he wanted. Yeah. And so Republican mayors, whether or not they agreed with Trump, whether mm-hmm. or not they believed in the pandemic, which I guarantee you, most of them did. They're just fucking liars who didn't care about people dying. <laughs> they made a choice of, you know, I, I'm i just going to go out there. And, like, they, they became that sacrificial lamb in a sense because they had to be the ones to go out there to encourage people to get in the water, you know? Yeah. Like, they were going out there and saying things like, go to restaurants. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, whatever. And meanwhile, like, in their hearts, they know that they're lying to you, right? Yes. And and so, no, so that scene was also very reflective of the pandemic because you had all these people that were 
being sacrificed in a mm-hmm. sense, <laughs> you know, to to go out and encourage others to do the same. And meanwhile, you know that you're just sending people right into the shark's jaws. <laughs> right. The thing that boggles my mind and the lesson I really wish that like ostensibly politicians would take from Jaws is there's a moment where, you know, Brody tries initially after after the little kid, Kinter, gets killed, tries to encourage them to, to hire Quint so that they can save August. This idea that if we listen to the experts and the people who know what they're talking about and we take care of the problem the way that we should, we can save our economy in a much shorter time span. And the mayor, by choosing not to listen to Brody and having a much more public spectacle scene for more people to see, has ostensibly just ruined that town, potentially, for years. Mm. And I think that's the thing that really hits me with the mayor, is this idea of, like, anti-science, anti-believing facts, and thinking that if we just ignore it, it'll be fine. But what we're seeing with Jaws and with the pandemic is if you take quick, decisive action and you listen to the experts, you can save the town for August. You can still survive August. Otherwise, we all kind of end up, like Quint says, on welfare by winter. Yeah. Last political thing I'll say, and again, I'm sorry all for politics. I know we're all sick of it at this point. But but no, I mean, you can look at what's happening right now with politics, and it it Mm -hmm. connects directly to that in the sense that, you know, I saw fascinating uh, statistical data today that basically was talking about the fact that every state in the country right now that is over 70% vaccinated Mm -hmm. all voted for Biden. All blue (laughs) states. Yeah. And they're the ones that are over 70% vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Every state that is not at that or is seeing extremely low uh, percentages of vaccination all went for Trump. Of course, you know, and so and 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 are mostly red states, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, and the thing there is, look, I mean, I hate to be a downer, but it's like we're all going to see the impact of that as the year goes on. Yeah, you're gonna see places like the extremely blue states that are mostly vaccinated, and you're gonna see that they're gonna be doing better mm-hmm. than the states that aren't. Yeah, they're gonna have less deaths. They're gonna have less crowded hospitals. They're going to be safer, you know, and that's it's just a really sad place that we're at. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and what happened with all this because of all the fucking Mary Vaughn's out there. (laughs) Fuck you, Mary Vaughn. (laughs) But all right. I I have other stuff to say about that, but I'll move on instead because I know that we don't want to focus on that negative show right now. (laughs) At least I don't. So so I want to ask you, you know, there's a very one of the most famous scenes in the movie probably is the scene with uh the three men bonding on the boat mm-hmm. and they're they're sharing their scars and their war stories basically and, and then you know Quint gets in, gets into his old iconic speech of you know going down on the USS Indianapolis and his experience with sharks and all that so w- what is the what is the meaning or the impact of that scene to you why do you think that we gravitate towards that so much and and do you think there's anything more going on there <laughs> <laughs> so I am uh, a the bonding scene is legitimately I think one of my favorite scenes in this movie and a it's because in most movies I've just I really fucking love watching male bonding in movies because there is like this really kind of charming innocence to it sometimes and I feel like that's what we get with this scene we have two opposing people Quentin Hopper who were keep butting heads um, they both have chips on their shoulder. They're 
unwilling to meet in the middle, even though they're both there for the same thing. And it's through this shared, you know, showing of physical and emotional scars, they're they're able to kind of come together, respect each other. Because shortly after that, we get the moment with Quint asking Hopper about all of the science scare he brought on. They're mm. finally willing to work together. For me, though, that seems really depressing because my on rewatch, I really think that throughout this movie, Quint is done. Like, I don't think that he's <laughs> I don't think that he's suicidal, but I think that he's accepted this is his last hurrah. Like, I think that he's really dealt with, like, the survivor's guilt of surviving the Indianapolis and all of that trauma and everything like that. And there's a lot of things that he does in this movie. I am, you know, the erratic behavior that I think that I think, like, really speaks to in that moment. I think Hooper sees that this is a man who is at the end of the rope, is depressed and sad. And so he sings a super fun song to kind of be like. (laughs) Hey, buddy. Yeah. Uh, disagree. So I think. Fine. <laughs> you just stick with your vagina shark. I am. Um, <laughs> the, the thing, the thing, the thing that you touched on that I think is accurate is I do think that Quentin deals with survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure that there's some of that there. I think, I think that the erratic behavior though, more comes from the fact that he is losing it because he is tackled or, or faced a shark that he can't predict, mm-hmm. that he can't overcome. And that Quint is also, you know, Quint, Quint's on the other side of it, uh, of where Brody is in the sense that Quint, basically Quint, I think, feels his, I think he feels his manhood is threatened by this shark mm-hmm. because because this shark is outperforming him. This shark is you know, is getting away from him. And I, and Quint destroying the radio and all that kind of stuff. I feel like that. I feel like that's Quint saying, I don't want help. (laughs) I want us, I want us to kill this shark and prove that we can, you know, prove that we're men basically. Mm -hmm. And, and, and okay. So here's where I get weird again. So, (laughs) (laughs) so first of all, I mean, yes, I agree with everything you're saying. It's a great scene. I love seeing positive male camaraderie in movies. We don't see it enough. No, it's the best. Um, well, it's not the best. I mean, it's... It warms the cockles of my heart. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say it's the best because women karate is great too. But, you know, it, I'm, I'm basically just saying, like, it, it. it's great to see that in movies. We don't get enough of it. You know, usually mm-hmm. usually male relationships in films are making fun of each other and, you know, stuff like that. And we need to see that it's okay to to get along that way. It's okay to put your leg on top of a strange man's leg. Yeah. You know? That's so uh, fucking cute. Like, like it's okay for those guys who don't know each other that well to be close like that. Right. Yeah. And so, so anyway, where, where I'm going to go with it is first of all, I just want to throw out there or, or, okay. So where I'm going to go with it is, is this, um, <laughs> so, it all goes back to the vagina shark and <laughs> vagina shark. <laughs> and and the idea and the idea that these are men who you know are, are in this environment of feeling threatened or feeling they have to prove themselves or you know kind of the way the quint gets all erratic and is mm-hmm. you know definitely deep in his feelings of having to feel like he has to prove his manhood right mm-hmm. and 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 i'm gonna preface this with 
I think this is an example of the toxicity of that, of how, you know, to, to the men out there, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't feel like you have to do that, you know? Yeah. You don't have to prove anything as a man. You no. just if you identify as a man, you just are a man. Yeah. Like, you know, you're like, awesome you don't, as you are. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to like go jump off a mountain or wrestle an alligator or something like no. that to prove that you're a man, all right? Like mm-hmm. if you identify as a man, you're a man. So yeah. just chill out and relax. But <laughs> in the ter- in terms of this, this scene's kind of fascinating because these guys are sharing their scars and you know traditionally uh, both in society and in film the the concept of men sharing scars is is that concept of uh, of proving your manhood of of saying that of saying that you've been through some things and yeah. you and you survived and you and you were tough about it you know it's it's mm. the idea of proving that you're tough right uh and and you see Quentin Hooper swapping these stories and, and and all the stories you know kind of represent that sort of toughness of like oh yeah i arm wrestled some guy you know and and, and he took me over because he's a huge guy right and that's mm-hmm. the only reason i lost and and like i faced this shark right or i was deep sea diving and doing this dangerous thing like they're all yeah. about that but then there's also two references during these stories uh where i, I believe quint mentions one about a girl and Hooper also jokingly, you know, mentions a scar in his heart mm-hmm. uh, because of a girl that broke his heart, right? Yep. <laughs> now, Quint is his third wife who died. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, hmm, seems kind of coincidental that Quint's not married and Hooper's not dating anybody. <laughs> no, he's just sleeping with Brody's wife. Well, in the book he is. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, this scene is not in the book. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, so they're they're kind of swapping these stories and... Anyway, it all comes back to this sort of underlying theme of uh, of these men who I feel like are f- are threatened by femininity, are threatened by by a concept of not feeling manly enough, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you see some of that in Quint in the sense that he is such a asshole when it comes to women, <laughs> like he's such a womanizer, you know? Yeah. That that you almost get the sense that when Brody is coming onto the boat, you almost get like a slight sense that Quint's like threatened by Ellen even being near them, you know, because he's making all these jokes and he, I say, you know, with quotations, he's making all these jokes and, and he's saying them loud enough so that he knows Ellen hears them. Yeah. And I think he even comments about her instead of to her, you know, he says something about, he says something to Brody about, like, the wifey or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. As Ellen goes running off because all of his jokes are so terrible because he's talking about, like, <laughs> 15-year-olds losing their virginity and shit, right? Yeah. So there's definitely, like, this sense of they feel threatened. And anyway, you know, what I'm talking about here, like, you obviously have to look very much into it and, mm-hmm. and agree with this to see it. But, you know, it's basically just a very subtle theme, I think, underlying it all of, you know, if you look at the shark as representing femininity in any sense – you know, it, you can see it as how these men are afraid of it. Yeah. They're trying they're trying to fight it. They're trying to overcome it. They're trying to overcome their fear of it. Blow it's, it up. And blow it up. <laughs> you know, hit that G spot, right? Like it's <laughs> That's what I'm gonna take it as. And, and and if you want me to go even further with that, which I know some of you do, <laughs> here's a stretch. So take Quint's story, for example. Mm-hmm. The way so he tells this story about, you know, delivering the bomb and then getting lost at sea with all these sharks and i will admit i'm stretching this to fit my to fit my theme here (laughs) but but you have the end of that and you have quint say that he 
you know, that basically he was he was most frightened waiting for his turn. Uh, he'll never wear a life jacket again, but hey, in the end, they delivered the bomb. <laughs> Reading into that, I sort of take <laughs> that as you can kind of relate that to losing your virginity. Because... <laughs> what? <laughs> you can relate that to losing your virginity because as we've talked about on this show before, you know... Uh, the the experience that men and women go through when it comes to virginity is very different. You know, women, it's kind of like forced upon them in a sense. And men, it's, it's more that you're, you're pressured of like, you're not a man if you don't do this. Right. Yeah. And so I just kind of look at that as, you know, Quint could be talking about the fact that he's most frightened waiting for his turn and that, he feels fear that he hasn't lost it yet, right? Uh-huh. And then he says he'll never wear a life jacket again. That's kind of like men not wanting to wear condoms, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and hey, but they delivered the bomb. Hey, but he finally got laid. So <laughs> I like the fact that you can go with this whole, like, vagina shark theory uh-huh. and the need to, like, fight against femininity to prove your manhood. Because that whole, because that whole final act is all mm. of these men... You know, it's it's all about like manhood, uh-huh. and that that's what that whole second half is. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's all of these men trying to be men, right? And, yeah. And and you even and you see all these little things all throughout the film of like, you know, the the women, the female characters in this are just tossed to the side. Like they're not, nothing's done with them. You no. know, like El- Ellen has, Ellen's she's in a, the she's a nothing character. She's in the movie, but she's a nothing character, right? Mm-hmm. And she's actually a very big character in the book, but she's tossed aside here. Because it's about the men and the manhood and the need to defeat the <laughs> vagina shark. Well, I mean, you see, you also see signs like the sign that uh, Mrs. Kinner puts up. You know, it says she's giving the reward to the man or men who capture the shark. There's nothing about women on that sign, you know. So ba- I'm just making the point. I mean, that, it was like, the 70s, <laughs> and it was the 70s. But I'm just, but yes, but that's the thing is, I'm making the point of you know, this was a time too where I feel like women were were becoming more a part of like the workforce and and there were a lot of men that were dumbly mm-hmm. threatened by women you know okay. and, and there still are like men still have that where they feel threatened by women and it's stupid feeling to have yes it is <laughs> you know but but i'm just look it's all a lot of stuff that you either got to accept the theme of it or not yeah <laughs> but i think that it's there if you really want to look into it I'll leave you your vagina shark. Okay. You can have your vagina shark. Well, so I'm curious because you've mentioned the book a couple of times, and I just want to get your thoughts on the difference between the film and the book. Since I have not read it, and I won't now because you've told me it's terrible. I mean, I'm just, I'm just worried <laughs> I'm not selling my vagina shark theory very well, but <laughs> just trust me, watch it again and watch how these men interact with each other and with that shark. But yeah, no, okay, as far as the book, like, I'll just say this really quick. The, the fact that Jaws is the masterpiece that it is, is a miracle when you read yeah. the book. <laughs> I, I I went into this book, I, I like Peter Benchley as an author. Like I said, I've read The Beast. I think that's an incredible book, scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Jaws is, it, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> like, it, first of all, you know, it it, it feels like, it feels like reading a book from a, a horny teenager <laughs> who was just coming into puberty and all they could think about was 
boners and boobs. And vagina sharks. <laughs> and vagina sharks. Brody is so horny in this book, and Ellen is so horny in this book, and everybody is just fucking horny in this book. <laughs> and, I mean, like, our introduction to Brody is him thinking about fucking his wife and how he's got a he's got a morning stiffy, you know, and, like... Ew! <laughs> and, and it just, like... it. So it's just a very horny novel, and <laughs> and it, and there's just so much in it that like makes you hate these people, mm-hmm. you know, like 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 in the book, and this is this is part of why I'm relating these themes of uh, of feeling threatened by femininity because that's how the male characters read in the book, oh, okay. es- especially you know like mm-hmm. Brody, uh, Brody constantly feels like his marriage is under attack. He constantly feels like he's not satisfying Ellen, you know, or mm-hmm. like, or like he's not, you know, like he's not a man himself, right? And and that ends up playing out because Ellen goes and fucks Matt Hooper, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and Ellen is terrible because the reason that she does it and the reason that Brody feels threatened and like he'll never be enough is that Ellen is this obnoxious character who's obsessed with. Fitting in with the rich crowd Ew. <laughs> and and being part of those. Like, she wants to be one of those women who's, you know, invited to the country clubs and all the fancy parties and stuff like that. Ugh. And the reason that she ends up fucking Matt Hooper is because he's the brother of one of the rich kids that she used to date. The younger brother, by the way. He's, like, 10 or 15 years younger than her Ugh. in this. And she ends up fucking him because she wants a connection back to her past of when she was connected to the rich people, right? You know, so she's the fucking worst. Oh, she's terrible. There's even a point too where she like imagines having a fling with Mayor Vaughn because he's rich, and he and he like stops by the house to tell her that you know maybe they could have been something at one time or another. Um, and and she actually considers it. Ew. Like after fucking Matt Hooper and really not showing much remorse in her mind. Oh, she's just gonna Uh, fuck everybody apparently. You know and. So so I mean that whole thing goes on. There's like a there's like a mob subplot of why Mayor Vaughn isn't closing the beaches that never comes into play. You know, it's just <laughs> casually referenced. And I was just sitting there the whole time, like, hey, the pandemic proved we don't need fucking mob corruption nope. for a mayor to not close the goddamn beach. Like no. Peter Benchley clearly didn't understand human beings at the time, you know? <laughs> So, I mean, I, I won't spoil more than that. I already mentioned how Hooper's also ego-driven in this book. But mm-hmm. basically, the the book, if you want to understand my theory better about the <laughs> femininity stuff, the, the book helps explain a little bit of that. Because these, you know, these are all men, especially Brody, who just, who feel like they have lost themselves, mm-hmm. right? And, and there's kind of like a fear that's constantly running through Brody of if Ellen's going to leave him or not, you know? Yeah. So, and, and what's happened between her and Hooper. <laughs> Poor Brody. At least he cares enough to want to satisfy his wife. Yeah, but he's also a dick in the books. Ah, God damn it. <laughs> burn it. Burn them all. All right, but we're already going over time here, so we got to start wrapping up, unfortunately. Uh, so who is your killer idiot of Jaws? Dude, is Mayor Vaughn, fucking dumbass piece of shit, making dumb decisions, got two people killed, including a small child and a dog. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, you're going to hate my answer because it's not Mayor Vaughn, because I, I actually think Mayor Vaughn is not stupid in a sense because he knows what he's doing. It's just that it's the wrong decision. It makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, no. I he yeah. but he's very he's well aware of 
the wrong decision he's making. He's just doing it out of greed. Yeah. You know? So so my my killer idiot is Chrissy. <laughs> and it's Chrissy because you know, the girl who gets eaten yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. It's Chrissy because, I mean, for God's sakes, she she runs off with a strange drunk man that she's never met before. Mm-hmm. Like, the opening scene is literally just them meeting for the first time. Yeah. She goes and runs off with this strange drunk guy. She is just leaving her clothes all over the beach. Everywhere! Like, like they're running and taking their clothes off, and as ho- many horror films have taught us, some dude is going to come steal your clothes so that you have to get out of the water naked, you know? Yeah. Uh, she's just leaving all of her clothes all over the place, and she wants to go swim naked with this random drunk dude in the middle of the night and swim all the way out to this far-out buoy in the ocean in the middle of the night, naked, and I'm just like... Dumb move. That is a dumb, <laughs> dumb move, Chrissy. You're going to say that because you're afraid of the ocean. But anybody <laughs> would anybody would think to themselves, maybe I shouldn't go swim out into the middle of the ocean at night naked with a strange naked man. <laughs> I mean, he's too drunk to do anything. True, but he's also <laughs> drunk, you know, so... I'm I'm just saying, like, these are all terrible decisions yeah. by Chrissy. <laughs> I will say, if that drunk boy had gotten into the ocean, he would have died because he's too shit-faced to swim. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. He would have just been dead. Uh, What about your killer death of Jaws? Duh, it's Quint. He gets, like, chomped up, and it's the most I get to see of Bruce. So, yeah, yeah it wins. Yeah, no, no question. It's, def- it's definitely Quint. It's Quint returning to the womb being eaten by the womb (laughs) you can keep your vagina shark i'm gonna keep with my like survivor's guilt suicidal quint okay fine he's eaten by survivor's guilt i don't care (laughs) (laughs) uh and lastly what about your killer mvp i think you're gonna be impressed with me on this one i'm gonna give it to john williams for the score because, you know, I, as you know, I don't always do great with paying attention to the music, but John Williams does such a great job of, you know, pulling the emotions out of the scene and really manipulating the audience with the score that he's created um, so that you're feeling the correct emotions that he wants you to be feeling in that scene. And I think that that is so masterful and impressive. And if I notice it, then it's definitely good. Yeah, no, so, I mean, my MVP is also uh, composer John Williams. Yeah. and Twinsies. Sure. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I don't want to be a twin with my wife. Um, <laughs> or married to my twin or whatever, but... <laughs> this is not Alabama, okay? <laughs> Take that to a weird place. Um, it's, it's John Williams. I mean, obviously, you know, like, like I was saying before, you know, John's score is iconic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you can... You can sing that score to anybody. They don't have to have seen the movie. Everybody knows what you're referencing with Jaws. Yeah. I'm scared that there will be a generation at some point that has no idea what that score is from. But, <laughs> but for now, for now, we all know. <laughs> but they'll still know his music, so it, will, it so it will still live on. No, no, no. What I, what I, I mean, yes, that's my hope. I yeah. hope that we never get to a point where you can go dun 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 dun. And people are like, I've never heard that before. Yeah, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I, what are you doing? That's weird. <laughs> you know, I hope we never get to that point. But 
but yes, his score is to the test of time. His score became more than the movie. Yeah. It became more than the score in the movie. It is now just part of our culture, right? Like that's that's so hard to achieve. And he did that. Yeah. And he's a, and that score is a big part of why we remember that movie. And the funny thing that I'll just quickly mention is like, you know, when John Williams put that score together mm-hmm. and first tested it for Spielberg, Spielberg's reaction was like, that's it? <laughs> you know, like, because it's so simple. You know, yeah. it's just two notes over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, the story goes that Spielberg was just like, really? Like, that's, <laughs> that's all you got, you know? Uh, but then they ended up testing it for an audience, and it was Game Buster. So, uh, so yeah, no, it's John Williams. But, all right. So that's going to do it for us on Jaws. Hopefully I did not lose you all in <laughs> the in vagina my, shark. In my theories, my brain is drowning in alcohol. Um <laughs> uh, but hopefully you had a good time with that. Uh next week we're gonna be talking about the uh I believe it's an Australian film called Bait, uh, that involves a convenience store that gets flooded during a hurricane and there's sharks. Yay, I'm excited for this. <laughs> but so we're gonna be talking about that next week, so go check that out if you can if you wanna prepare for that. Uh, otherwise, thank you as always for listening to us. Uh, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Beware of the ocean. <laughs> Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore horror underscore critic new episodes release every friday so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way i like them have a good night horror fans